Uh, 1 Samuel 17, we're going to read just a small portion of the David and Goliath story. But if you have your Bibles, stay with me there because we're going to track a little bit through the whole of the chapter uh, as we spend this time together. But we're going to be in verse 45 through 47. Uh, Together, let's hear the word of the Lord. David said to the Philistine, that is Goliath, you come against me. With sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here know that it is not by sword, will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, we give you thanks for this, your holy word, for the wisdom contained therein. We pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would gather us together in such a powerful and profound way that we would come to know you in this time. That we would be impacted, deeply transformed, in fact, by the power of your word. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask that you would open our hands that we would, in response, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you in here would describe yourself as a, uh, a, a lover of books, uh, a reader of readers? Uh, don't be bashful. Raise your hand, right? Uh, I have a nephew who uh, the only punishment that works for him is a punishment of taking away his books, because he loves reading that much. Can you imagine as a parent if your punishment was taking away their books? Not their iPad, not their phone, not their TV, not YouTube. It's books. Praise God for Mateo, my nephew. Uh, I wish all of my children were... No, joking. Uh, so, but, but, but let's think about the power of story. And why uh, books have such a resonance with us. It, it's, it's that moment when you're in a, a book, and, and just by the way I described it, you know what I'm talking about. When you're reading a book and all of a sudden you're in it. You're there. And you can, your senses are alive and awakened to what is going on in the story. Uh, and, and, and you could see it, and you could hear it, and you can even smell or taste it. How awesome is it to be in a story? I mean, think about those epic fiction or nonfiction uh, novels, uh, Great Expectations, uh, Dracula, Where the Red Fern Grows, uh, A Book Thief. I mean, these books that bring you in uh, are, 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 are lasting 
and can move from generation to generation because of the way they move us. I have a a sibling, I won't name my sibling, who, who whenever she goes to the bookstore, which do we even have bookstores anymore? We do, yeah, well, whenever, whenever bookstores used to exist, she would go to the bookstore and she would go and sit down in a section and what she would do is she would read the, the last chapter of a book and decide if she wanted to read the whole of it. What a horrible idea. This is, this is wretched. Uh, I mean, she, she would go through, and, she, and she's a fast reader, so she would just zoom read the last chapter, close the book. No, I got it already. Don't need it. And then she would just move on. But if, if, it, if it got her, if it grabbed her, then she would uh, buy the book, and she would read the entire book. I don't know how she functions as a human. However, uh, I, I, I think that we oftentimes treat stories in Scripture like that. We, we read just portions of them or we recall only snippets of them. And so we don't grasp the depth. We never actually put ourselves into that space. We don't actually see it or smell it or taste it or feel it because we've only read the end. Think about what we do with David and Goliath. I mean, this is something that you've learned uh, if you've been around church world since you were in high, right? And, and, and there's this story of this, this, this little dude, David, and he has a sling and five stones. And there's this big giant, right, Goliath, and he's super strong and intimidating. And David goes, whoop, 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 boom, and plucks him in the head, knocks him out, and wins, by the way, we don't get to the cutting off his head and all of the, like, everything else that goes past that. Uh, and there are a couple of kids in the rooms that aren't teched out right now. So I feel bad that I just said that David cut Goliath's head off and I said it again. <laughs> Whoops. You know, we, 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 we only remember part of that David and Goliath story. And we miss the scene being set up and the, and, and the narrative being presented in such a potent way that we can actually feel what's going on. And furthermore, furthermore, when we only skip to the end, we actually miss the point and purpose of the story. So we're going to move through the story, through chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. We're going to see how uh, the Word of God leads us into that sacred space. And then when we arrive at the Scripture for today in verse 45 and 46 and 47, we're going to see that point and purpose of the story enlightened for us. And in so doing, we'll be able to apply it to our daily lives. All right, y'all ready? Y'all ready? So here we go. So... The, the Philistines and the Israelites are preparing for battle. And I want you to imagine, you know, tents and, and, and like the campfires at night. And, and you have them all spread out and sprawled out. And then you have like the king's tent, you know. Uh, I want you to think about the movies now that have that like in the, in the middle. And it's more grand than, than all the others. And, and, and they, ha they, they wear extra like crazy clothing. Maybe they have a fur on. Uh, and, uh, and, and everybody is coming in preparing for strategy. But, but here's how it looks. The Israelites and the Philistines, it, it, the word of God tells us in 17 verse 3 that they're actually encamped on hillsides 
opposite of each other with a valley in between. They can see each other. So they're all set up, one hill, the Israelites camped, valley in between, the other hill, the Philistines camped, watching each other day by day. They probably watched each other set up camp. They got there, their their spies, those that went before them probably saw them getting ready and they said, oh, this is the valley where it's going to take place. We're not going to go down in the valley because if we go down in the valley, then we're going to give up position and they're going to be able to take us from the hill. So we're going to stay on the hill and they're going to stay on the hill and we're going to play a game of chicken, right? And this is just a grand game of chicken with both on the hill and no one in the valley. And so what happens then is is you have these two encamped armies and the Philistines have this giant of a man who is their, their, their leading warrior. And he is tired of the gamesmanship. He's tired of the camping. He wants to go back home to his family. He just wants to get on with the battle because he's ready to win. Okay, winning is what he does. It's what he's built for. And so he comes out and he stands at the edge of the hill, maybe down the hill a little bit towards the valley saying, Hey, Israelites! What do we come here for? Draw up your lines and come at me. I'm ready. What are you? Sleeping? Eating? I thought you came here for war. And he drew everyone's attention. In verse 10, uh, he concludes his statement. His statement is one of, hey, send out your best against me. I'm the best, and whenever I beat you, you're going to serve us. But if by chance one of you beats me, then we'll serve you. That ain't even going to happen. Look at me. And then he says in verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. He didn't say we Philistines defy the armies of Israel. He said, I personally, me, Goliath, defy all of you. And rather than like get a little bowed up, rather than feel as though they're ready to do this, the Israelites cower and have fear inflicted upon them and the days continue we don't have many scenes from the days that follow but the the word of god in verse 16 describes it this way for 40 days that one philistine goliath came out Every morning and evening and did the same thing. 80 times. Not 40 days once a day. He, he was like the rooster crowing, right? The, the, the Israelite armies are still asleep and he comes out and says, wake up. I'm still here Waiting. For you to come at me every morning, 
40 days. Do y'all remember 15 days to slow the spread? And how long that seemed? 40. 40 days. And then every night, the Israelites will be, you know, snuggled towards their pillow, getting ready to rest. Oh, by the way, I'll use two pillows, and I'll tuck them up right up there. And just, right? I'm a side sleeper. So 40 days, they're laying in their bed, getting ready to go to sleep. And here comes Goliath. I defy you. I have stood here over and over and over again waiting for one, just one of you to become a man and come at me. And no one would. I wish we had some scene cuts into those 40 days. Right, so some Israelite uh, camp cuts where the, the men are like around their dinner uh, talking about, I wish this dude would just go away. Uh, which one of y'all fools going to be the one to go fight him? It's not going to be me. You know, and like, like, could you like imagine what we would get if we had like the strategy battles and like they're there in the tent and Saul, the leader of the Israelite army, the king is there and, and they're thinking about themselves like, like, do you think we could come at them like and, and ignore Goliath? Do you think we could just like actually fight the war with, without uh, like meeting his challenge? No, we would look like cowards. We couldn't do that. And like the arguments that ensued amongst all of the generals that were there for the Israelite people it would be unbelievable but this Goliath this Goliath was not just any man he was he was a huge human the scripture describes him and it whether it's hyperbole or not it describes him as nine feet nine inches tall Yao Ming was seven feet something and it was huge like, I remember watching him play against, like, other centers, and they were being babied all the time. And so you have this nine-foot, nine, and then it describes all of his gear. It's all bronze. It's so extra, right? He has a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of armor. He has bronze Lululemon leggings. I don't, there's like a fancy word for it in scripture. I don't remember it. Like it's, it's, it's the leg guards. Uh, and so he has those bronze leggings on. And then he even has a bronze javelin. Uh, it, they didn't make that out of any sort of iron or steel. They made the javelin even out of bronze. It describes how heavy his spear tip was and, and lays it all out. And, and so you could begin to grasp why these Israelite armies cowered day by day, morning and evening, every day. But something was changing in verse 21, it seems as though the Israelite uh, uh, commanders, uh, along with Saul, decided that it was time to draw up their lines. So rather than send one out to face Goliath, they were going to, to, to draw up their lines and then maybe Goliath would shut up long enough for the two sides to actually fight. Someone would get a lucky shot on Goliath in the midst of the battle and, and, then, and then they could win. And so that was what they were doing. They were drawing up their lines. And enters this other character, this, 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 new, uh, this new character into the scene. There's this kid named David. He's not even in the army. 
He's, he's not uh, old enough, strong enough, experienced enough to be in the army. He's just a shepherd. His big brothers are in the army. So if you have big brothers, then I want you to imagine that age at which you were not ready and they were. And you know that age. Or maybe you feel like you're that today. And, and so David is sent by his father to, to bring some rations, some food to his brothers, three brothers who were in the battle, and his, his brother's commanding officer, which I'm sure is like a bribe. Like we're going to send him cheeses, and so he's going like to not put our brothers at the front. He's going to keep them in the back. The, the more cheese you send to the commanding officer, the healthier your sons are. I don't know. So, so, he, so that's the deal. That's what David's doing. He's bringing food to his brothers and the commanding officer, and he brings the food to his brothers, and, and he shows up on that very day. On that day in verse 21 where they're drawing up the lines, and they're there at the valley. They're coming down from their hills, their hillsides, and the armies are aligned on either side, and, and they're, they're, they're ready. And I imagine Saul says, hey, we don't have to listen to Goliath today. We could catch him off guard. We're going to catch him in the battle. But do you know what Goliath does? He doesn't miss an opportunity. <laughs> he sees everybody lined up and he says, maybe someone was sleeping the other 80 times I said this. Uh, maybe, maybe they didn't get the drift. Maybe my voice didn't project loud enough through the valley. So now that we're all here, now that we're all lined up in the valley, I'm going to say my, my spiel again. So he steps out in front of the lines, approaching the other line with his shield bearer with him. I imagine some little dwarfy dude, right? Probably like me. He's like this, and then there's me. And I'm like carrying his shield. Hey, uh, Goliath, I'm so happy to be around you. And, uh, and, and so he carries the shield out in front. So there's Goliath, and the dude carrying the shield like me. And Goliath says his same thing over. I defy all of you. Come at me like a man. It's time to fight. You don't all need to die. Just one of you needs to die. Come and die by my hand. And a baby just cried in the sanctuary, for those of you online. And so we had this moment where Goliath comes and says this again, but this is the first time that David hears this. David, the little one, who wasn't even enough of a man to go to war with his brothers, he hears this for the first time. Furthermore, all of the armies that are lined up together hear Goliath say this. So what do they do? What does Saul do? Saul the king, does he say charge and they all go and fight? Does he say, I got this. I'm going to go after this man. No, he, he doesn't say anything. In fact, the entire line that has been drawn of the armies of Israel hear Goliath say this. And the word of God describes it in this way. In verse 23 and following, as he is talking to them, Goliath the champion of the Philistines stepped up. And then in verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. They got all dressed up for nothing. They all pretended to be warriors that morning 
And by the time Goliath said what he had to say, there was no one left on the battlefield. So now we have David, who heard this for the first time, begins inquiring about what's going on here. Why will no one go face him? What will happen for the man that does face him? What, what, what will, will this scene be that plays out? And he's asking and inquiring in ways that must be unique to the entire Israelite camp because everybody else was cowering in fear and David was actually inquiring as though this was possible. And so Saul calls for David and invites David to his tent. And so David, this young, ruddy, handsome man who's not even enough to be a warrior, enters into the king's very presence. And, and the king calls on David and says, what is it that you you are doing, asking about Goliath, wondering about who it is that will face him. And, and, and David steps forward and says, I have something to tell you. David tells Saul in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, me, will go and fight him. I will go and fight him. Goliath, is Saul relieved? Is he thankful that finally someone has stepped forward? Verse 33 continues on, and Saul replies to David, You are not able. He could have stopped there. You're not able to do this. You can't go out against this Philistine. You can't fight against him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior since he was a kid, and you're not even the age he began to be a warrior. You're not able. And here is the moment that things begin to turn and we begin to realize the very purpose of this story. The, the, the reason for which we read this story yet today. David turns back to Saul and he says, I'm a shepherd. I protect my sheep. This is what I do. When lions and bears come after my sheep, I come against them. And just as this man comes against you, I will go after him. It describes it, he describes it in this way. Verse 36 and following. And listen to the turn. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. He, he doesn't say, I am so great because I have faced lion and bear. He doesn't say, I am so great because I have had victory over lion and bear. What does he say? The Lord rescued me and will do so again today. So Saul says to David, go and the Lord is with you. 
the Lord is with you. And so then what happens? Evidently, the Philistines didn't even leave their drawn-up lines from the battlefield. They're still there. They're still prepared. Everything is ready. Hill, tent, campsite. Hill, tent, campsite. Lines drawn. Israelites come out, draw their lines again. Goliath comes forward. He's ready to battle. And here comes David out in front of the lines. And he steps forward without any armor, without any javelin, without any spear, without a helmet of bronze or a coat of armor of bronze. He comes out just him with a sling and some stones. And Goliath, he doesn't laugh. He doesn't, he doesn't turn away and reject the word says that he actually, in verse 42, despised him. He was insulted at his very presence. And then in verse 43 and following, I, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. Then we get to the passage that we began with. Now the story is set up. And David turns to Goliath and he says, You come at me with weapons. You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin. But let me tell you what I come with. I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. God is going to is going to put you into my hands. And, and it's not by my strength that you will be slain here. It's by the power of the Lord. Because what you need to know is that it's not even uh, me or you that, that are being moved by the power of the Lord in this time. It's actually the fact that this entire battle is the Lord's. And not just this hill or that hill. Not just this army or that army. Not just you or me. Not the instruments of war that we come with. But the entire battle. All of it is the Lord's. Every single bit of it is the Lord's. And so whenever I come, I don't come in, in flesh and blood, but I come with the power of the Spirit of the living God. I come in the name of the armies of the living God. And so this very battle has already been accomplished. This victory is not mine, will not be mine, because what's going to happen is when there is a victory, the whole world, David says, the whole world is going to know that there is a God in Israel. This isn't about who you think is God or who some other tribe thinks is God. This is proof that there is a God in Israel, this entire battle is God's. And so whenever you 
recall that final chapter of the story that you remember from your youth or you've heard in some sort of storytelling moment. Now you can see the scene set up so that when David does take that sling and, and throw that stone and defeat Goliath, it is done because David trusted in the Lord. What would it be for us to trust in the Lord like that? I guarantee you it would change things. I'm going to sound crazy for a moment because we don't talk like this in the world today, but maybe we should. We've been in a global pandemic. Coronavirus has spread across the globe and lives have been lost. Death and dismay has rested upon our world, not on our nation or not on our state or community, but upon the world. Where do we lay our trust in a season like this? We are not to trust in Washington, London, or Beijing. We are not to trust in Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burke. We're not to trust in Democrats or Republican and Trump or Biden and McConnell or Pelosi. We're not to trust in Moderna or Pfizer. We're to trust in the Lord. And he is worthy of our trust. And whenever we are in a battle and whenever lives are at stake, whenever we place our trust in anything of flesh and blood and we fall short of that deep residing faith, what are we doing? We are Christians. Not Republicans or Democrats or Americans or Mexicans or Chinese. We are Christians and so we place our trust in the Lord. And whenever we face this battle, we know that God will use humans as a part of that battle, but we don't place our trust there. We place our trust in the only one who is actually worthy of that trust. The Lord God Almighty who was so gracious that he sent his son Jesus for us for our salvation. What would it be if we changed the framework within which we dealt with a battle like the one that is being waged against the coronavirus. And the people of God rose up and said, in this battle, I will trust the Lord.
what would you do differently? Would you spend all of your time scrolling to see what news those trusted sources are putting out? Or would you spend more time in the word hearing of God's faithfulness? Would you spend so much time wringing your hands with your lips as you engage in conversations of politics and of policy with your friends and neighbors? Or would you spend more time in prayer meeting with the Holy Spirit, declaring your undying trust in God? What would look different about your life and mine if, in a battle like we see being waged today, we placed our trust in God. Let that question sink in just long enough for the Holy Spirit to give you an answer or two or ten. And then act on it. Because God is worthy of our trust. Would you pray with me? God, we do trust you. We, your people, trust you. We read about uh, your trustworthiness in Scripture over and over and over again, not just in the story of David and Goliath, but throughout Scripture, you declare to us that you are worthy of our trust. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We appeal to you. We ask you, O oh God, How, Lord, do you want to use me in this season? How can I be a part of of what you're doing in the world? Because the victory is yours. No one else's. And as the victory comes, we, we promise, we promise to give you thanks, praise, and honor. Because you are worthy. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.